I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 80 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Heather Mahalik. Heather is the Senior Director of Digital Intelligence at Celebrate and a Senior Instructor, Author, and Course Lead for Forensics 585 Smartphone Forensics Analysis In-Depth. To say that digital forensics is central to Heather's life is quite an understatement. Heather has worked on high-stress and high-profile cases, investigating everything from child exploitation to media associated with terrorism. She has helped law enforcement, e-discovery firms, military, and the federal government extract and manually decode artifacts used in solving investigations around the world. Heather began working in digital forensics in 2002 and has been focused on mobile forensics since 2010. There's hardly a device or platform she hasn't researched or examined or a commercial tool she hasn't used. She also maintains smartforensics.com. In this episode, we discuss coming back to law enforcement, cloud forensics, what drives her research, early mentors, the start of cell phone forensics, mobile device threats, developing presentations, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, Heather, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Um, and as I was just saying before we hit record, you, you've you been a very uh, hard guest to get, which is fine, which is good. It just shows that you're so busy, you know, making the world a safer place. But uh, what are you up to these days? Oh, my gosh. I'm a little bit all over the place. I'm not going to lie, which is really no different than it's been in the past, but Finally, now that I joined Celebrate, I'm getting back into the law enforcement side of things, and I didn't realize how much I actually missed it. It's nice. It's oh, really? a nice change. What What is uh, more attractive about – or what do you find interesting, I should say? Not maybe more attractive, but what, what's drawing you, I should say, to the uh, the law enforcement side of it? It's honestly just different. So back in like 2002 to 2006 when I first started my career – I did child exploitation and arrest on visa fraud and passport fraud. So I guess that was definitely law enforcement related, but it wasn't murder or missing persons. So this is the gap that I've really never had in my career. So I guess that's why it's so exciting to me. It's just totally different. Gotcha. And you know, when it, when it, and is it still, I would guess, primarily cell phone based uh, type work? Yep. Cell phone and cloud. Oh, interesting. So a lot of cloud stuff now. The cloud continues to be a popular area for bad things to happen. What are some of the things that you're seeing on the criminal side with that that we might not see as much on the civil side? Well, and you may see it on the civil side too, but a lot of location artifacts from Google, um, obviously the secure chat applications where they're getting search warrants and they're able to get more information than we would see on civil side. But it's, I'm finding lately that it's almost easier to say where a cell phone wasn't versus where it actually was. Hmm, interesting. So we're trying to flip it a little bit and say, okay, can we prove it was not in this location? And then when you can't prove that, then you have to dive in and actually try to put it there. Gotcha. And you know, it's, it's interesting now where, and maybe it's my misinterpretation of it, or maybe I'm right, but there's so much of what's happening now with cell phones, both on Android and iOS platforms that is so 
synced with the cloud that they're really almost like little platforms to really cloud competing in themselves. Yes. And with that too, I mean, where, where's the gap between say, you know, you're doing a cell phone investigation. What are some of the things you might not expect to see in one platform or the, well, actually or in one repository or the other, whether it be on the mobile device or the cloud? Well, I think a lot of it is awareness and some people don't realize that. Okay. Here's a good example. Let's say you use an iPhone and you do not create iCloud backups. There is still data that is backed up to the cloud on behalf, I shouldn't say on behalf of Apple, but it kind of is. It's the device itself is deciding things by default, unless you turn them off, that they go to a different cloud sync area. So I think people aren't aware, and I'm an iPhone user. The stuff that is in Google Cloud is absurd. And I spoke about this a little bit at RSA, just trying to prove things to people and make them more aware that you have to go in and control your settings. And most people think of that as, oh, I'm not backing up to Google or I'm not backing up to iCloud, but you really are in a different way. Have you ever, and I'm just curious, this is one question I want to ask you Well, have you ever done a kind of a proxy between a mobile device uh, when you first turn it on and have it basically watch the traffic that goes out with like Wireshark and, and all the DNS stuff? Not necessarily in from that aspect, but I've done a lot of befores and afters when someone travels to maybe China or a place that they think someone would hop onto their device. So I haven't looked at it from that perspective, but maybe that's something, geez, Phil Hagen and I do talks together all the time. Maybe we should do something like that. He's the network guy. Yeah, I would, I would highly recommend. It's very right? interesting. <laughs> and, and everybody's like, oh, you know, you know, all, all, it's always the, you know, the base camps fighting between like Android people saying that iPhone doesn't respect security and vice versa. When you turn on either one of them, the amount of stuff that beacons out within the first 30 seconds to Google and tons of different social media platforms is actually kind of scary. And I don't think a lot of people realize that these things do a lot of communications that they might not even know. And there is still a lot of data that gets collected. But I also think it also breeds a lot of fear too, that people think, oh my God, my cell phone's spying on me. And you know, are people's cell phones spying on them? It's, it's probably a question I would imagine you get every now and then. Yes. And you know what? I just actually wrote that down. I'm going to tell Phil we have to do a talk on this now. It's very interesting. But I mean, so how do you answer that when, you know, Thanksgiving dinner is like, oh my God, I just heard on, you know, some Channel 6 news thing that my cell phone's spying on me. What's really, what's really happy? How do you, how do you kind of navigate those uh, casual conversations? If I don't know the answer, that is honestly what drives my research. I have people ask me all the time, just this last week in Vegas, someone was like, how do you decide what to research? And I was like, all the questions you ask that I cannot answer, that drives my research. They're like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, no, that's really something's in the news that I'm like, I don't understand that or I haven't seen it. I will try it myself. Gotcha. Well, it goes back to your start. Like, how did you get actually started in the field of what we now call computer forensics, cybersecurity, or and now even mobile forensics? You know what? It's funny you ask. I'm working with SANS right now on a women in security survey. And one of the questions is, how did you get started? And my first proposed response was I got lucky I was in the right place at the right time. And that is honestly me. My background, um, I graduated from West Virginia University with a forensics degree, but it was CSI before CSI. So this is like 2002. So it wasn't a thing. It wasn't popular on TV. But I realized very quickly that I was expected to be a police officer. And that's just not what I exactly wanted to do unless you could skip and become a detective. So at 22, I wanted to go straight to detective, not earn my way. 
to it, I actually wanted to work the homicides. And that may honestly be another reason that I'm happy where I kind of landed right now. But I was just like Alyssa was in the military. I was in the Air Force. Um, she was a Marine. So she would be probably appalled that I'm comparing the Marine Corps to the Air Force. <laughs> and I'm not <laughs> like we just both served in the military. Um, I had a clearance. And the only thing that I swear saved me was I was on the back of a C-130 flying to drill weekend. And this, he's actually, his title was Loadmaster. He was in the back of the plane and he's like, are you the forensics girl? And I said, I am. And he said, do you have a clearance? And I did. And he's like, would you consider doing digital forensics for Mantech? And I'm like, you know what? At this point, I am working in a hair salon, giving people coffee and making appointments, yes, yes, I would do digital forensics. I think and that's, that's how, just kind of how it. Yeah, it's most crazy. That's how it took that off. Way. Yeah, well, to, to, to some degree, that's almost how it is. It's, it's you know, particularly if you've been doing it for a while. There, I mean, a lot of this until really. Um, and I was just talking to Mary DeGrazi about this, but you know, when, when you start out, a lot of this, a lot of us did, you know, a decade or more ago. There really wasn't that much out there. You know, Rob yeah, Lee was and, just starting to put together the classwork, but there really wasn't a lot of options. And I had zero computer experience, zero. I remember when I interviewed for the job and I'm still really close with my first two bosses and they seem kind of shocked. They're like, you have zero computer experience, not even computer forensic, but zero computer. I didn't know what a hard drive was. I, I was very honest with them. I'm like, I can check my AOL email. I know how to use Excel. I can turn on a computer, but I'm a fast learner. So I just kind of talked my way into, I understand federal rules of evidence and general concepts and how to collect. So they hired me to essentially write the SOP for search and seizure. And I just learned on the spot. I got so lucky. I worked with really, really great men who just groomed me. Who, I mean, that's always a great kind of question I like to lead with people on, you know, who are some of your early mentors? Because I think it's, you know, something I think like David Cohen had said to me one time, you know, you kind of stand on the shoulders of giants and none of us get yeah. in this, this industry by not relying on other people. But who, who are some of those people you can really say, gosh, they, that was a pivotal moment that they helped me it's with. It's so true. Um, so Sean Howe, he was the first person that hired me and he now works for the government. Um, he was the person that I 100% credit for forcing me into IASIS and all of the vendor trainings, but he made me earn the tool. I had to understand what was happening behind the scenes before he would let me press a button. And I credit his methodology for how I teach SANS through today. Like I won't let people just use a tool. Like I want them to understand what happens when they press a button. Um, Steve Belts is another one. And he lives out in Seattle now, and it's ironic. I'm going to speak next month at the Internet Crimes Against Children, and we're going to be speaking there together. And Steve, he was the senior examiner, but he kept me under his wing. We worked cases side by side for years, and it's his fault that I do public speaking because <laughs> I had stage fright. And he's like, you could surely talk about two slides. I'm like, I can't. There can be no slides, no questions. So my public speaking all comes from the force of Steve Belts, which was amazing. And then honestly, my whole SANS career kicked off by, I met Owen Casey and I worked for him at Strauss Friedberg for a while. Owen introduced me to Brian Carrier and I worked for Brian and that's where my mobile career kicked off. And then Rob Lee. So I feel like it's just like one smart man after another who kind of got me to where I am. Yeah, that's some serious name dropping there. Because, you, know, <laughs> you know, for those of us who do a lot, I mean, those were some of the first books you pick up, or either from Brian Carrier or Owen Casey. And, you know, you read Rob Sands' blog. I mean, that's 
basically how I learned forensics was the three of them, you know, from yes. a distance. Uh, but how was that actually working with, you know, Brian Carrier? Because I think so many of us like, gosh, you know, I can never put a body of work out there like file system forensics. That's, you know, the Bible to, to so many of us. How do you get over some of that imposter syndrome when you're working with somebody like him? You know, what's hilarious. When I first met Brian, I lived for file system forensics. Like I, I needed his book to get my IESA certification to work my, any NTFS thing. So when I first saw Brian, I was taken aback by how young he looked. And I'm like, how have you done all these things? You look so young. But honestly, he is so humble. I feel like when everyone's like, how is it working with Brian? I feel like we were work spouses. It was just the yin and yang. It was so, he's not an arrogant person at all. And he was just so easy to get along with. Yeah, there, there is the, the one thing that, that you find very interesting, at least about our industry, you know, when, when it comes to cybersecurity and particularly forensics, is the humility that a lot of people have. People are mm-hmm. like excited to talk to you. There's there's very little, I can't talk to that guy. It seems to be a little bit different in some of the cyber side. Some of the, the hackers can be a little bit more, uh, less approachable in that because like, do you know who I am? But the forensic, yes, the forensic folks are some of them that I always say they're the my funnest part of my family. So if I look at both it's sides. True. It's really true. And you know what? I find that anyone who never has imposter syndrome, I think they're either lying to themselves or they're just one of the odd unicorns in the field who haven't realized like the stepping stones and the people who have lifted them to where they've gotten. Yeah. They're just, you know how many times, yeah, people listen to me. I'm like, like right now, why do these people want to listen to me? Because <laughs> you're the expert. That's what everybody What do says. I have to say? <laughs> I've just making, or made so many mistakes that help me speak more intelligently. <laughs> it's, it's, it's if, like I was just telling uh, Mary, you know, if you're, not, if you're not failing, you're not learning. It's so true. Well, how did you end up with, with you know, getting into the, the mobile phone forensics? Because everybody has those moments where they kind of divide. They say, okay, I've, I've gotten my base understanding of cybersecurity and forensics and stuff, but there's always those now forks what? in the road. Yeah. And how, how did that gravitate to, towards mobile devices? So I, when I left my first government contracting field, I honestly, I got worn out on child exploitation. I was really young and it was just too much for me. So I switched to e-discovery for a little bit and worked at Strauss Friedberg. And I was on a case by myself in Budapest and I had a, a flip phone and it was in Hungarian and I couldn't figure out how to get the phone into English. I would be lying if I did not say tears may have been shed a little bit because we were pressed for hours and I could not get it into English to dump it. And then I managed to get it to work and I became the cell phone girl. And honestly, I was like, no, I don't want this. Cell phones are horrible. This was before the iPhone. So then iPhone comes out and all the smartphones and Brian Carrier and Basis Technology won the contract for phones. And Owen Casey actually was like, Heather, you'd be great for this. You're great with phones. You're great with research. It's kind of all unknown. So I feel like I dove into unknown waters. And I honestly thought that was 2009. I thought I would do it for one to two years max because I thought I'd be ruining my career with cell phones and look where it's gotten me. Yeah. Now look at you. <laughs> it's kind of ironic, right? <laughs> what, and again, like what, you know, one of the things I was always curious about too with, with cell phones, because everybody has said, well, well not everybody, but I mean, there, there becomes this common theme that you, you, we hear a lot in, in cybersecurity. Well, there hasn't really been a, a known attack or cell phones aren't really used in the security arena. Are there things that are starting to happen on mobile devices that we should be concerned about when it comes to things as, you know, kind of attack vectors or areas of concern that affect 
I'll say maybe traditional incident response that people don't normally think of. Definitely. And, you know, I've even considered changing my SANS class name to incident response as well, but I don't want to distract anyone from it. But it's one of those things that your cell phone is your most personal device. So if someone can land on your phone, they are going to have access to possibly everything you touch. So all your corporate networks, your work computers, anything that's not protected, they are going to get insight on. They can even use one thing to hop to cloud, to hop to another. And that is something that we brought up at RSA that I tied to Ed Scotus's talk was he was talking about all the cloud attacks. You can get to that through mobile. And I don't think people see it that way or want to see it that way. Maybe it's ignorance is bliss because I know a lot in the IR world that people don't have the training on mobile, but they need it because it's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's funny. It was just uh, this morning, you know, I had somebody just got a a random text message that says, you know, did you, um, did you get my proposal? I didn't recognize the number and I'm like, straight up, I'm like, who, who the hell is this? And I'm like, oh, it's so-and-so I sent you. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, but I'm not going to say like, yes, yeah, send me it. And I'm going to start clicking on links in a in mobile because it's, I have a browser. I have things on my phone that can get exploited. Yep. I know that. So I, I, I don't, people just don't appreciate it. It's, it's something that can very easily be done um, just as you would a computer. It's just a small mm-hmm. computer. <laughs> what are some of the challenges though that you're seeing now? Like in, like, what's the next well, let me, let me rephrase this. That really differentiates things on the mobile platforms than you see with um, you know, traditional operating systems and hardware. So either like a, a MacBook Pro with the latest yeah. OS versus like say an iPhone. I think the structure of them both in the way that their hardware and software setup is, I wouldn't say misunderstood, but not fully understood by a lot of folks, both in forensics and security. Well, so a few Mac is different. If you just stuck with PC, I would say yeah, change. Fair enough. So the pace of what is released and what is changed and how's the data laid out on Mac, that's obviously I think harder than it is with PC because Windows has been very consistent. And honestly, I found that I could probably go several years without working a Windows investigation, but you get another hard drive and you're fine. That would not be the case on mobile. It changes so quickly. Um, all the OS updates, um, what is encrypted today may be open tomorrow. What is open today could be encrypted tomorrow. Our methodologies for acquisition all the way through analysis, they change several times a year. It's crazy and it's intense. And honestly, that's why I like it because I feel like it's one way to stay sharp with everything that changes, but it also makes it very difficult. But I think encryption is probably our biggest thing that we're seeing that's kind of keeping us out of things or making people think they can't access it. Well, certainly. And that's, that's certainly where, where Celebrate's gotten some notoriety, let's say, over the past couple of years is mm-hmm. the ability to get into these encrypted areas. So how do you, as a forensic examiner, security, law enforcement, balance the, I want personal security and privacy versus, gosh, I really need to get into that device as well? Yes, 100%. I always try to tell people, don't do bad things, and then it won't matter. No one will want to get into your device. <laughs> That's uh, it's, it's a it's sage advice. I don't know if it's, people are necessarily going to follow it, though. <laughs> Just don't do bad things. Just don't do stupid things. That's it. And here's what's hard. Some people, so if you're law enforcement or if you have the Celebrate premium tool or you have a gray key box that can get you in, great. But what if you're not? And right now, our best advice to people is reach out to the vendor, see if they can help you, see if they have a beta version 
that they may give you access to, which I hear about all the time from students that get lucky, but your only other option is to wait. But what if you can't? What if you have a phone for two days and you can't wait? You may actually have to rely on everything that's in cloud because the data on the device is actually encrypted. Yeah, a lot of the folks on on my uh, discovery side of the teams, uh, that's where often they have to do it. You know, it did, it's worked out well for remote collections, but um, yeah, you know, people. I think what people can't also forget when you're when you're trying to collect these devices for analysis is, you know, people are much less willing and forgiving to give up their device for 24 hours. They're not going to ship you their phone and say, hey, image it, do your analysis, send it back. So like, yep. can I have it back in the next 20 minutes? And you're like, eh, no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas a computer, they might be able to get away with it because they have cloud backups. But I, I think it's the, the, the personal feeling that people have with their devices, but they also don't appreciate, you know, particularly I would say sometimes in the corporate environments, other that it may not just be your device. So you might have to share data. Um, and so people with these BYOD policies run into a lot of issues where they don't oh, yes. realize that they have to balance that. So again, it comes down to that security, privacy, and and what we're trying to be productive as, as workers, but, you know, again, balance those rights. Yeah, got it. So where, where are some of the other areas that you see, you know, research around mobile devices kind of going these days? You know, what what are what's kind of on the horizon in what we're seeing? I mean, I know... You know, Apple's coming out with some new platforms, things like that. What are, what are some of the other areas that will be either platform specific or types of maybe even applications that people should kind of have on their radar? Um, so as far as iOS, obviously, Apple's releasing their new iOS and iPad OS in three days, I believe. So my life gets crazy around that time. And I always wait for my course edits. So my course edits are due October 6th, which really gives me very little time to play around with the new OSs when they come out. It's very stressful. So who knows what to expect with Apple. They'll probably put more stuff in cloud that everyone will think is encrypted. But other than that, I honestly don't expect any major walls. The issue is really Android because all the different manufacturers, all the different flavors of Android, it's open, all the different mobile device management platforms that are controlling it. You honestly could be the Android master and just hit device after device that you have no idea what to do with. So just research on accessing Android, I think is huge. And then overall for every mobile device, the secure chat apps, can we actually get the tokens from the device to decode and extract all the chat apps? That's a huge one. Yeah, we see that a lot, particularly in the civil side where folks are like, well, just give me give me the iPhone chats. I'm like, do you want the iPhone chats? Do you want WeChat? What do you want? Because <laughs> they're like all of them. Well, yeah, every chat. you don't realize that's that you're asking for a lot. Um, it, it's and that, that's another thing, too. Yeah. If someone says we want SMS, they most likely don't even mean SMS, but people aren't educated enough to understand what they should ask for. That's that's a very good point. They just assume it's it's I just press a button and it works. It's all magic. So you know, why do we have to worry about that? But you mentioned that you have to get your your your, your course revisions in, and that's that's something I want to talk about too. Is like you know, you've been a very strong person that's been uh, very recognizable in the SANS community. You've been teaching the coursework um, and help develop it. So how did that all come about to even kind of get started doing SANS teaching? Because uh, for everybody that I've talked to, and even when I've evaluated, it's, it's, it's a bit of an undertaking. It is. It definitely is. I was, I was recruited by Rob, which I know other people have different situations, but I was recruited to kind of write a course. And I was, 
to be honest, I didn't even really know what SANS was. I'd never taken a SANS course. So I didn't really realize the opportunity and what I was biting off. I went in kind of blind, which I think is a good thing because if I had known, I probably would have been totally intimidated. <laughs> but there was an existing mobile device course. It was more acquisition. So I started teaching that and modif modifying and editing it. And then it just got to the point where I realized there wasn't a need to acquire, that most people can take vendor training, most people can read a screen and press buttons. And what we were doing is simply replicating what all the vendors were doing. So really you should, if you're going to testify to Celebrate or you're going to testify to XRY or Oxygen, you should take vendor training with them. It shouldn't be through an acquisition course that SANS is giving you. So I wanted to instead switch it to, what are the tools not really showing you? What is the truth that's hiding in the background? Or if your tool gives you the wrong answer, why is it incorrect? And why is it not the tool's fault? So really to humanize mobile device forensics, you need a human to get the answer. And it has to be a smart trained human behind a keyboard. So that's where the idea came from. And Rob thought it was a great idea. So we just pushed forward with it. And honestly, 585 took off at that point, which has been great. That was a long time ago. Who else did you develop that course with? So the initial development of that course was myself, Lee Crognelli, and Cindy Murphy. And then Cindy just when it's now Lee and I own it now. Um, Cindy still, we essentially bought the data from her. And she's still a happy participant, but she's busy with Gilware and writing music and doing all her things. So now it's just Lee and I. Gotcha. Yeah. No, Cindy, uh, Cindy's another one. I've, I've had her on the show before and hopefully I'll see her. Actually, she's, I think we're both going to cross paths at a conference soon, but uh, she's. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. She's another, another great one out there. You um, should try to get Lee on the show sometime. I'm, Lee has a I'll pretty cool that. story. I, I love cool stories and people that are in the industry. I mean, that's that's really the whole impetus of the podcast. And what's really crazy is we grew up together. We we technically went to kindergarten together, but we didn't become friends until like fifth grade. And now we write a science course together. When I was at Mantech, we worked together for the last three and a half years. It's a very odd thing. And she started it in marketing. Oh, and funny. I begged her to try forensics. And here she is. And there you go. So, you know, with that too, you also do quite a bit of presentation research and speaking, teaching, mm -hmm. day job. How do you balance it all? You know, including even having you know, family obligations. It doesn't, it doesn't end. So how do you get this much done in a day? Yeah, it's honestly the switch to celebrate has been very helpful with that because they want me to be public interfacing, helping people with questions. So all of I feel like everything I was doing on the side for the longest time is now a primary part of my job, which is amazing. So yes, they can control some conferences I go to, but they've been great about listening to me on which ones I think are important. But That's no great. one, no one to this point so far was like, you must talk about this at this event. So what I've been doing is reaching out to the person running the conference and ask what the gaps are, who the targeted audience is, and then try to come up with a talk that's going to spin it in a way that people, one, want to listen because the topic is cool. And then everyone will walk away no matter what level they are at with something they didn't know before. And that's hard to do because there are some really advanced people. And then there are people who have no idea that you could even get data off a smartphone. So I try to like 
keep it interesting enough. So there's like some hex, but then, oh, there's me dragging a body. And you're like, oh, what's happening? This is actually entertaining. So I'm trying to really target to specific conferences and I try not to repeat talks, which also makes it hard. So it's a lot of time on research. And once you get a good data set, that's my key. I have a data set and I'll just spin talks off of that. Well, that's good. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel each time. Yeah. And I need to reinvent the wheel very shortly here for some new talks, but gotcha. that's the unfortunate. Sometimes I just use my own phone because I know it's there and that's scary to put it up on the big screen. But that also intrigues people when you're like, we're looking at my phone now. We're looking at my cloud data. Mm. Very interesting. So, you know, with, with, with that speaking, to, you mentioned too that, you know, you initially kind of had a stage fright. How did you kind of get over that? I mean, what, you know, if somebody else is saying the same thing, there's a lot of folks, you know, particularly in our industry and, and both sides of, you know, I would say all areas of cybersecurity. There's a lot, a lot of folks that can be a little bit more on the introverted side that are not necessarily willing to jump in front of a crowd mm -hmm. of people. How do you give them advice when they say, gosh, you know, I really have this idea, but I'm scared. I'm worried. Somebody else might already know. There's some level of imposter syndrome or something playing into it where they won't, they won't do it. What do you, what's some of the advice that you would give to somebody that's looking to be a contributor? I think what made it easier for me was to stop talking to other people's material. When I first started, I had no say in the slide. I didn't really understand how it was created. I was just a puppet speaking to someone else's stuff. Once I started doing my own proposals for presentations and creating my own data set, I knew how the data was created. So I knew, and I had confidence that if someone asked a question, I could answer it. But then I also realized, and it honestly, it took me a few years to realize it's okay to say, I don't know. But then what's really amazing is when you follow up, even if you follow up personally or privately with someone, that's great. But if you do a short blog post and then people are like, okay, the person listened, they researched and they responded. I think that helps. But I think speaking to your own material is huge. And it doesn't have to be insane either. I think some people wanted to get so technical that they lose people. You could have just slides with a graphic that's going to spur some kind of topic in your mind that you could say, okay, I once did research on X and this is what it looked like. But it just maybe start with shorter things and then branch into talks that go longer. But honestly, I think a shorter talk now for me is harder than mm. a longer talk. Like at OSDFCon, we have 30 minutes, 25 or 30 minutes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can barely make a point in that time. Plus with Whereas questions. Whereas at ICAC and, Northwest, yeah. it's 90 minutes. And some <laughs> people would be like, 90 minutes? I'm like, nah, I have lots of time. I can show some videos and talk a lot about the research and how the data was created versus in 25 minutes, you have to be like so brief and to the point. It's very, very difficult. One of the best advices that I had, it actually came from uh, Lenny Zelter, who was like, you know, he's like, basically don't bury the lead. He's like, don't wait, make the audience wait to the payoff, you know, kind of show them up front what you're what you're getting to and then uh, provide the supporting materials. I was like, gosh, that's such a good point. I see I like so, many, it. so many people do that where they, you're just like, and then, and it's like you're trying to wait for, yep. for this. But, uh, wait I, for it. Yeah. But it's always nice when you see people uh, taking photos, even to say, hey, I'll make uh, the slides available after the talk. But people are still like, I, and I need a photo of this now and comment on it. It's always a good feeling to say, okay, they're walking away with something. Yep. Um, 
is that something you try to do too, where you, you kind of mentioned, yeah. I think a little before is that there's something actionable. There's something somebody says, okay, they've invested their time to come see me. I need to give them something to walk away from with. Yes. And I, I try to, every presentation I do, I post on smarterforensics.com after the fact. Um, that way anyone can get access to it. The exception would be the Celebrate ones, but you can get those from Celebrate. You just fill out the little request form and they send you the slides. So I try because what you listen to in a talk, two years down the road, you may be like, oh, I was at an event and there was some blonde girl and she talked about this. And she said it would be on her blog. So if they go out and then they download it, then at least you know your work is continuously helping others. It's not just your one hour of glory where you stood up and spoke to people. That's that's assuming they didn't go to Alyssa's blog first and try to. That's find true. Them. They probably would. <laughs> Fair enough. So what you know, again? What what are some of the things that you're going to be working on to the end of the year that people should maybe expect to see towards the end of this year and in the Q1 of next year? So I have a few public talks. Um, I'm speaking at OSDFCon with Mattia from Italy, and that's going to be interesting. He's going to be Skyping in. And that's going to be some open source stuff we've looked at in on iOS devices. Um, I'll be at the Celebrate Connect events coming up, which is kind of cool. I don't really have a speaking role per se, but I'm just there for Ask the Expert, um, trying to feel out people. What do they need? What do they think are the gaps? What are missing? And these connect events are completely new. I've actually never been to one. Monday's going to be my first one ever. But it's kind of cool. It's like a user summit, but in different cities every month. And it's around the world. So they're sending in people from training that will do a live training for you. And then people like myself that are there to ask questions and socialize with you. And it's one day and it's free. So those are kind of cool. Um, I obviously have my sand stuff coming up. But something that I really want to do is and maybe feedback from this, we'll know if it's good or not. But with Celebrate, I would love to entice people to come to these things. So create a data set and release it, release it publicly and with challenge questions. And then the first maybe handful of people who answer get a coin and then have a webinar where you review it. Like these are the answers you should have found. So they actually are working a case for maybe a month or so and then they get the answers. So kind of a CTF on their own. But then what I thought would be cool is at the Connect events, if they had someone like myself or someone from Celebrate Training show how they would have worked the investigation. Like not just the answers, but kind of the mindset. So getting into the mindset of the investigator. Like how do you process this? And everyone would probably be different. So I think it would be cool to see there are so many ways to get to the answer, but ultimately who cares as long as you find the answer. Yeah, that's a funny thing. You know, they bring a good point. I've, I've had a lot of people that, have, you know, they say, well, what do I do first? I'm like, here's your, you know, it's a kind of choose your own adventure. There's a lot of different first steps. There's different ones that you want to consider out of the gate, but there might be two or three of them. Then you might go to the next steps and they might, but there's no perfect one way to get to that answer. And that's the uniqueness of doing the analysis. Yeah, it's like being an artist. I never thought of it that way. That sounds so much it's better. It's crazy. <laughs> and Sarah and I, Sarah Edwards and I always do a talk at the D for Summit together. And we were just in a taxi headed out to a show in Vegas. And we were talking about how people need to learn how to do research. I think it's an unknown, unchartered territory that makes people uncomfortable, but it doesn't need to. So we were talking about doing like both of our, like two of us, one solution, or I don't know what the topic would be, but essentially that, like our different methodologies, 
And it really doesn't matter how you do it. It's just whatever makes sense to you and you come to the same solution. So we may do that talk. Maybe we'll propose it next year or something else. But I plan to also do a lot of webinars and webcasts and mini blogs with things that people are asking. Oh, kind of like an Ask Me Anything for Heather? Yeah. You know what? Sans, or not Sans, Celebrate tried to do an Ask Heather hashtag. And I was like, oh, no, I'm never going to be able to do anything else. (laughs) I'm just going to be answering questions. On this uh, new new Android screen, I still uh, haven't put it in debug mode. What do I do now? Uh, I know, yes. It's not technical support. Be like, here I am. (laughs) I am your operator. Very cool. Well, I greatly appreciate you taking the time. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. I'm sorry it's taken so long. Do not apologize. You're out there doing the uh, doing the fun stuff, so we can all learn from it. We, you know, we're all out here appreciate it. Thank you, and look out for SmarterForensics.com in the next few weeks if iOS 13 wreaks havoc on us. Yeah, I uploaded to the beta. Um, I do like the dark mode, um, mm-hmm. but that's that's it. I've been playing with since, and then it crashes a bunch of my apps. So that's about it. That's all. I, that's all I've been able to notice so far. Yeah. Well, Hopefully. Hopefully it's good when the full release comes out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I yes. <laughs> Every day I'm checking, look, is it out yet? Well, awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll be sure to put all the links to where you are on your show notes uh, for your page. And uh, again, thank you so much for doing the recording. No problem. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.